Hello everyone and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is episode number 9 for January 2009. Michael Dell needs more bodyguards. Welcome to the Phyllis Club, the show where we talk about uh, international news and world news from around the world. And by from around the world, I mean that we have guests from all around the world. Uh, I'm Patrick Beja, your host. And uh, today I welcome, of course, again, the one, the myth, the legend, Turkey from Saudi Arabia. How are you, Turkey? Ah, yes, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> The cheering you're hearing is from uh, another returning guest from last month, uh, Randy, who is uh, now situated in uh, in uh, Canada, if I'm not mistaken. How are you, Randy? I'm in Vancouver. I'm doing very well. And uh, the cheering you were hearing was from the, the tumultuous uh, crowd that <laughs> comes to listen to the live recording of the Phileas Club. That was. Are you freezing me. well up there? I, it, it is cold. I wouldn't say it is uh, obnoxiously cold, but it, it is not. Uh, it's it's nothing like say Mexico City or uh, where you are, oh. Turkey. Or, what? Or around we're near the freezing. Turkey is point. in Mexico City. I, I, I said or or where Turkey oh, where okay. Turkey <laughs> is. <laughs> I thought I, I I learned something about Turkey's life. Um, okay, uh, the, the last person on the call today is patiently waiting to be introduced. Uh, it's uh, Mohammed, who is also actually a returning uh, host from... Wow, that, that was a while ago, Mohammed, wasn't it? It was uh, episode three. Episode three, wow. Okay, um, so you're, you're the kid of the team. Uh, <laughs> you're 16. Thank you. My <laughs> uh, well, reputation goes down instantly. No, I mean that as a compliment. I mean that as a compliment because, you know, we're old farts and you're the young kid, you know, who knows what the kids do these days. Are you calling me an old fart? Yes, I am. That's exactly oh. what he did. Um, Just was making sure. Okay, good. So, Mohammed, you're, you're uh, in Qatar at the moment and that's your actual uh, place of residence. Yes, it's my uh, home country. Is it cold in Qatar? Okay, that's silly. Don't answer that. Actually, actually it is. <laughs> really? How cold? Yeah. Like, um, bring a sweater cold. It gets down to, I think, like 15 degrees Celsius or below. Oh, geez. At the night, it's very cold. That's cold for you? I, uh, <laughs> I'm Thank you for What's, what's cold for you? Well, it's, it's two degrees Celsius in, in Paris now. Randy, can you translate that in, in Fahrenheit? Instantly? Oh, uh, that's a, around 36 Fahrenheit, it, and it's about the same here in Vancouver. Oh, jeez. I don't uh, understand Fahrenheit, Celsius. I don't either. Mm. Don't ask. You should just, just make more. No, no one in the world understands imperial measurements, except maybe <laughs> a few people in England. Isn't Celsius so much easier? You know, zero degrees water it freezes, is. 100 degrees water boils at sea level. That's it. That's all you need to know. You don't know Americans. The Americans are just stubborn. They just love to do what they want to do. Oh, they ignore geez. everybody okay. else. 
<laughs> okay, you know what? Let's uh, keep moving. <laughs> um, what? You... I'm enjoying slamming America. So why are yeah. we moving on? Well, because if we start this, the introduction is never going to end. So let's just uh, get, end the introduction and start the actual show so you can slam everyone you want and we, we will enjoy it, I'm sure. Um, so, right. oh, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm done with the... Uh, uh, music uh, transitions between uh, the different parts uh, of the show because I'm lazy and editing is boring. So uh, this show is going to be the first one where we just transition like this from the introduction to the international news section where I think the first topic is going to be uh, Gaza. So as most of you know, I'm sure, uh, the war in Gaza has uh, come to an end uh, a few weeks ago, and Hamas and Israel have agreed uh, on a ceasefire. And I think we've, we've talked about the war uh, quite a bit in, in the past few months, but um, what I wanted to do today was uh, talk about the perception of the war and if it started as, I guess, some people uh, thought it was almost would agree with Israel that it was self-defense. I felt that uh, in the past, uh, in the last few weeks of the of the the offensive, it was sliding towards a let, let's call it a PR uh, disaster, and people were starting starting to think, "Wow, this is like Lebanon, and uh, it, it's it's a bad." Even the supporters of Israel were calling for it to stop. So that was my feeling and maybe a little bit of the feeling uh, uh, in France. Um, and let's keep in mind that France is usually, I think it's safe to say, pro-Palestinian uh, in general. Um, so it was probably a good time to, to stop and agree on the ceasefire. On a, I know it's very cold uh, to say this, but from a PR standpoint. Uh, guys, what did you think? Did it, did it slide uh, like this uh, in your countries? I, I'm, I'm going to start with the easy one, uh, Turkey. Uh, how how did the truce go in, in Saudi Arabia? Well, the fact is, it really depends on who you're talking about. So in Saudi Arabia, there's two people. There are people who are highly educated, moderate to liberal. And most of these people would only talk in private on these matters. And they would mm. say Hamas was asking for it. It's about time Israel did something about it mm. and although they are happy about the peace because Israel did overdo it okay and however for the general public the majority and the things that you hear in public which is uh, that was a massacre it was a holocaust and Israel should be punished for it immediately okay so side question um what would happen? I know it's it it's become sort of a ritual uh, when we talk with you, Turkey, because it's it's uh, very surprising for most of us. But um, I always ask the question: What would happen if someone talked about this in public? Um, what would happen to him? If you mean the ones that would show support to Israel? Yeah, well, maybe not show support, but at least you know make an educated uh, uh, es um, educated analysis of the situation. Uh, a very simple thing, they would be declared a traitor, an outcast, an anti-Islamic, and a Jew lover. Okay. Th does that have legal ramifications or just social uh, suicide? Uh, no, no, it's, it's, it's mostly social, but it also could harm you physically, not okay. by the government, by the people. So. I see. 
Um, Mohammed, uh, what's the, the, the situation in Qatar? Well, uh, during Qatar, our only... Um, we, since we have uh, Al Jazeera, we host Al Jazeera in Qatar, yeah. we have been the same, uh, same stands as Al Jazeera. For example, when uh, we had the Arab summit January 16th, um, Qatar and Mauritania, they, um, at that time, they cut off economic and political ties with Israel over protests on the Gaza dispute. Mm. So, so basically, um, Qatar really wanted it to end, just like everyone else, because we want political advances in this situation. We don't want thousand people to die on both sides. So, does but does that mean that you know, uh, cut off economical ties with with Israel? Does that mean that they are uh, absolutely siding with uh, with Hamas on on every issue, and uh, or do they also engage in maybe? you know, talks and uh, on the street, would they understand the situation the way that uh, Turkey was talking about, about some people in, uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia? Well, in Qatar, we have, um, for example, when we say economic ties being cut off, that means trade being cut off, for example, sure. the oil, the gas and all that, all the way to Israel. If it goes to Israel, we can't send it. But over here as a voice, We, we, Qataris are only 10% of Qatar. 90% of Qatar is expatriates. I don't know, maybe that percentage changed or increased, but if you, the voices here are mostly international, so we can't take a strong side. I see. Uh, is that uh, expatriates from, from uh, the Western world or from the Middle East? From all over. We have French communities, Danish communities, English communities. Filipino community. We have many different communities here, so the, uh, they, they live here, but they don't really have a voice in the say of what Qatar does, but if you ask them on the street, they have their own opinions. Mm, I see. Hey, uh, uh, again, a side question. Uh, Turkey, how is uh, Qatar perceived in the Arab world? I mean, it seems to be a very, uh, you know, specific uh, kind of country with very open with Al Jazeera and a huge uh, Western community. Is it perceived as a real, quote-unquote, Arab country, or is it like the, the uh, apart from the pack and sort of strange cousin? Uh, Qatar is actually seen by most Arab countries and basically mostly by Saudi Arabia and by Egypt, these two countries specifically, as a small piece of land with people who are trying to create this empire by putting themselves in the middle of every conflict and trying to sound like they're the good people and they're the ones who are trying to fix things <laughs> and so on. And Al Jazeera is not even helping that reputation as Al Jazeera is never, ever uh, a type of news uh, channel, at least not the Arabic. The, the English one, I think it's a very good news channel it is uh, it does bring the truth however al jazeera arabic always has an agenda that is trying to promote okay um i'm going to return the question to to mohammed um how do you perceive the rest of the arab world and by you i mean you know qatar in general mm. well uh, arab world is in closest areas or in general such as well, jordan you know, in, turkey in general in general you know the arab in, slash islamic world 
Okay, um, if you're talking, well, if you're going to talk about closest people, such as Dubai, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, it's it's sort of um, how I see it, like, I see it as uh, good friends. Like, you see each other in the different countries, you just give a nod, because you know they're both from mm. Arab countries, and you have a sort of connection with them, so it's pretty good. Okay. With uh, the farther away Arab countries, we have some people here who perceive them as... Um, non-Arabs like people's this is uh, some people's mentality here they see for example if someone from Jordan comes they treat them such as a foreigner oh wow so is there, is there like a divide because you were talking about uh, Dubai is there a divide between like the rich Arab countries and the poor Arab countries it's not about um, rich or poor it's about where he's from for example when how can I explain? It's such as um, if we have a person from Jordan coming in, he'll be the exact same treatment as if an English guy comes in or mm. an American guy comes in. But if there's someone from Bahrain or Dubai or Emirates, I mean, comes in, there's sort of a brotherly feeling. Like, you know, they're closer together, so they know each other. I see. Okay, we veered away a little bit from Gaza here. Uh, let's get back to the perception <laughs> of the war. Um, with uh, Randy uh, in the U.S. and maybe even uh, Canada, since you're in Canada at the moment. I think my favorite perception of the ceasefire is that it happened, I mean, it, it literally started at midnight on January 21st. Mm -hmm. For Israel, that was only two hours after President Obama was sworn in. Okay. And it was it was just very, very strange. Uh, you know that day was the day that all uh, every single media company in the world that had any news element whatsoever was only talking about this one thing and it was and and you you kept hearing these these replays like uh, two hours ago president obama took the oath of office becoming the uh, you know the president of the united states and israel and Palestine, palestinians are now getting along you know, like, like those were related occurrences. It was very strange. But, so uh, the Obama it, effect was uh, perceivable in that uh, too. Exactly, and of course, the 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 point to be made there is Do, that that's I'm the sorry, way that just, I'm sorry, Randy. Just to make things clear, are you actually saying that by some magical thing, uh, the two events were? perceived as being related actually or were you making a joke a joke they were definitely reported as being related i don't know they, if they are related as... well okay and 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 i i tend to agree with that i i do think that uh when when it when it came time to pick a time all right here is when we stop military operations the the beginning of the obama administration was something that came to mind for yeah. those those Israeli leaders, uh, but I, I I doubt that they <laughs> they said I would really like to go watch the inauguration. So let's <laughs> have a ceasefire. <laughs> no, it's it's more it's more about that the Obama legacy would be different, and they figured let's start fresh with this new president. Let's not uh, put him in trouble as soon as he gets become president. He 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 wouldn't end up liking us so much. Mm. Well, and, I and agree with Turkey. To his credit, he he didn't send uh, George Mitchell to Jerusalem immediately. He waited a few days, 
and let you know he let the the situation and I'm not saying that that President Obama is going to micromanage a situation but he mm. it was I thought it was very cool the way uh, the way the new president let you know let people who were on the scene take care of their business he had business at, at home to to sure. immediately deal with and then after a week passed he asked the you know the United States uh, Middle Eastern envoy George Mitchell to go meet with everyone and of course they mm. all received him he met with Mahmoud Abbas in uh, Ramallah uh, and he did that first I think is is the way mm. the way it was reported which which was uh, very uh, I think was was a little bit symbolic and about and, the degree oh I'm sorry uh, I was just gonna say I I can't I can't get over the sense from in the news that the United States is still doing what it always does which is to say it's in the middle of everything but trying to trying to carry an air of a, a little higher uh, mm. wisdom and, and a little more uh, a little more gravitas than previously Okay. And yeah, so about the degrading of the image of the war, if there is such a thing, uh, do, do you feel like it was also getting it turning into a, a Lebanon disaster number two? Or I, did did, not I didn't far? feel like it was reported that way in North America. Okay. It was, it was reported in North America as um, this great big horrible thing, and it was particularly horrible because in, in North America you had... You had Christmas and, and New Year's holidays, so there mm. were there were a lot of people who were on vacation and trying to, uh, you know, trying to relax and had a lot of time to turn on the news and, and see what was going on. So it was it's more hard. of an inconvenience to the people who it were was. vacationing. <laughs> it, I don't mean to say that, but <laughs> okay. you were trying to. I'm trying to draw a distinction with. Actually, the, the also, also you have the fact that uh, most of the Christian holidays are highly celebrated in Palestine. Hmm. So that, that would affect the celebrations there. So it kind of affects the most, most of the Christian population around the world. Hmm. Right. And, of course, every news service loves to send a small crew to Jerusalem and Bethlehem and so forth to to take some live pictures that they can show on on Christmas Eve and this sort of thing and when there's a, a major military operation going on that kind of dominates the imagery sure. so nonetheless the answer to your question is I do not believe that this this month of war was as bad for the uh, the popular opinion as the Lebanese operations were. Sure, yeah, I um, don't mean to say to say that it was as bad. I just mean that it was starting to you know turn into something that could have become as bad. So it's it was probably good, a good idea to stop now. I know it's horrible I, to I, speak about this in in PR terms, but oh no, it's uh, it's sorry. It, that's exactly what this is. An ongoing conflict is a PR war. Sure. If suddenly a conflict arose in in South America between uh, Brazil and Ecuador, you would you would not worry much about the the PR aspects of it because you would be trying to understand and trying to let the world know why there was this sudden war mm. going on and what the facts about the situation were and, and and trying to determine who you know who is doing what for for what, yeah. whereas. That's so long established in Israel 
that you can you can you know effectively say everyone knows why this this warring is going on. Let's talk about something as yeah. as complicated and seemingly unrelated as uh, what people think in Florida. And that, I mean, quite frankly, as as I said the last time on the Phileas Club, ever since. Um, Ever since you know major changes in the in the Middle East in the early '90s, we've seen the PR battle going to a solid victory for the Palestinians. The Palestinians mm. have captured the hearts of of all of the the left in North America, uh, mostly you know mostly on the underdog syndrome, yeah. which is a, a valid way to uh, you know to get people interested in your success. I would have to agree. Um, all right, let, we talked about uh, Obama a little bit, uh, so let's go uh, transition to that, because, of course, uh, as everyone knows, I don't think anyone can ignore uh, that, cannot know that. Uh, he was sworn in uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, 10 days ago, was it? Um, well, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you know, uh, it, it's that little thing. And um, And by the way... There was a, a huge blunder at the swearing-in itself because it, it appeared to be a, a, a mistake on Obama's part when it was actually a mistake on uh, Chief Justice Roberts' part, uh, who, by the, by the way, is a uh, stark enemy of Obama politically. Um, he, he inverted two words, so Obama, when he was going to repeat it, realized that he, the words were inverted, so he paused so, to give him the opportunity to, to, to correct himself. Anyway, that, that was what happened, and what I'd like to know is as how people talked about it, because I thought it was huge. And in France, we looked at it as you know something endearing and sort of like of cute And, uh, oh, it was a huge amount of pressure. Haha, ha, it was a slight mistake. It's not going to have big consequences. And that's it. But I can imagine that if someone had, uh, uh, you know, uh, wanted to cast a negative light on Obama, he could exploit uh, that mistake in a very effective way. So, again, uh, and first of all, Turkey, you lose your bet, he got sworn in. So pay up. I don't know what we what we did. Hey, there, but... a, my bet was that he might not make it to the inauguration. However, if he does make it, I give him one year. That was my bet. So until he finishes one year, then you can say you won. Okay. This so. is going to go on forever, you know. Yeah, I think We're so. We'll be talking to Turkey for the next 50 years about how... No, 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 no. One year. Not only and, did and o I have, I have an image to, to protect. I am the Devorak <laughs> of this show. And I have to protect that image. I don't buy it. <laughs> um, so you mean, what happens in one year if he's still in office and he's still alive? Are, are you going to all invite us to, to uh, Saudi Arabia and, I don't know, invite us to the restaurant or something? Sure, you can just pay the ticket and I'll take care of the restaurant. <laughs> okay, that's a deal. Um, all right, so, so the mistake at the swearing-in. Uh, what of it? No big deal. Uh, Okay. Yeah, it Fair was enough. no big deal. Even even if he didn't do the oath, it's by it's by law and constitution that he's president by noon. Okay. Even without the oath, so it was just uh, he was under pressure. So there's really isn't that much to talk about. Well, I'm sure that some people, and by some people I mean Fox News, um, might have a different <laughs> take on it. 
so I'm turning to to Randy now. There there were a a handful of crackpot reports for about 48 hours after the swearing in. I just a very small number of reports that uh, that there, you know, there was a rumor that some someone somewhere was going to enter a case into a court, uh, mm. suing the government for some mistake that was always very ill-defined and so forth. Okay. But uh, I was in a crowd of people during the inauguration. I was in a in a movie theater watching it, and there was an audible gasp around the room <laughs> because because other other than See, we had all just sat through a six or seven hour long sermon that was called a prayer, and I, I was I was blown away by how long that that preacher stood and prayed before we finally got to see uh, Obama sworn in. So a lot of people. I think had they were trying to asleep. establish that that he wasn't a secret Muslim, but I think they were. You're, I think you're absolutely right. They were they were trying to establish that. All of his atheism, um, all of his Islam, and all of his Scientology are going to take a back seat. Uh, <laughs> to, but, but I mean, seriously, it was it it was really much later than most of us expected mm. in, in that theater. We had all shown up. Uh, you know, a lot of people got there just a few minutes before the vice president was sworn in and kind of expected things to move right along. Mm. And then other than that prayer, they really did. There was no, there were no mistakes. You know, they had, they had music and poetry and so forth. And there were no mistakes except this one big glaring error, which yeah. was entirely John Roberts fault. Yeah. That's you know, yeah. and, and quite, and quite frankly, that's not even fair. Both of those men know that oath. Every school child in the United States learns that oath because it's an interesting, very short oath of office. Hmm. Uh, President Obama used to teach constitutional uh, yes, political so science. Yeah. He, he knows it, of course. Well, hey, and, and, and he, Chief Justice Roberts, of course, he knows it too. So I guess we right, can put the, it on, on, you know, it's, it was emotional. Yeah, and it was just one of those things. I, I don't think there was some malicious intent by John Roberts. If he if he really wanted to screw up President Obama in front of the entire world, he would have done a much better job. So, I don't know. That was a pretty good job. I mean, I don't know what else he could have done. He could have, I don't know, pushed him so that he fell on his ass or something like that. But, I don't know. Slapped him. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's just sorry. one of those things. And my, the only, the, my only... Uh, fault that I want to find is that Obama didn't just say the oath correctly, that he insisted mm. on trying to follow what Roberts was feeding him. Yeah, um, he, he tried to, frankly, to give him a chance to say it well, to say it correctly. I right, think. and I, I would have, I would have preferred if it were me, if I had just been elected president of the United States, <laughs> I, I would have just said the oath the way I know it is supposed to be said. And embarrassed and, and that would have, the guy. Right. That would have made the Chief Justice look so stupid. And this is probably how we know that Obama is a better politician than you are. I, I <laughs> promise you Obama's a better politician than I am. Um, another thing that I want to talk about, a little bit more substance here, um, is the, the first decision that is highly symbolic uh, of Obama, which was to suspend the legal proceedings in Guantanamo for 120 days. Uh, that was his first official act as president, um, if I'm not mistaken. 
And uh, so, of course, again, uh, that has a, a, a huge signification in the world, um, but even more probably in the Muslim world. So once again, we're, we're very, you know, uh, uh, regular, uh, I mean, orderly today. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Um, I'm going through every person one after the other. It's very nice. We're like uh, in a row. It's good. Uh, so Guantanamo, Guantanamo closed, uh, or at least the process has begun. Turkey, what do you think? Well, the biggest news, in my opinion, about the whole Obama thing is the fact that his first interview as the president of the United States was done for an <laughs> Arabic news network. Hmm. In Qatar. So, so without considering what, whatever, the Guantanamo and all of that stuff, he said one thing, and that's the one thing I'm going to say. Himself, he said it. He said, don't trust me on my words, trust me on my acts. So I'll just wait and see what he does. Does that reflect the feelings of uh, the, the Saudis in general? Arabs in general. Okay. Do you confirm that, uh, Mohammed? Confirm the idea of uh, Obama being what? Um, no, the fact that the, the Arab world is waiting on Obama's action to judge him, and they're not either, you know, they're not uh, adverse to him or pro-Obama until he actually does stuff. Yeah, the Arab world, they're, they're not really sure. The Arab world is happy that Bush is gone, but right now we're, we're trying to see what yeah. Obama's going to do to us, because now we're just looking for someone else to take control of the mess. You know, I have to say that even in France, the, the Obama uh, euphoria is sort of dying down a little bit. And people are starting to say, OK, fine. OK, that's it. He's, he's president now. And now let's actually see what he does and what he does when he gets to work. Um, so maybe that's, that's larger than just the Arab world. Um, although I, I would have to say that the big thing about Obama getting elected was the fact that he got elected in the first place. That's why all the euphoria uh, is really happening. Not, it's not only because he's uh, replacing Bush, but that's on a side note. Uh, Randy, closing of Guantanamo. I think very highly reported in North America, fairly well received. You have to remember that that Obama does have a long way to go to bring his, the uh, the political opposition closer to him in in the United States and and in particular in in the countries neighboring the United States and I think he I, I think he is doing that and I like that I, I like that the the reporting has not been um, has not been very simple. Obama closed Guantanamo Bay, and there was much celebration. Now yeah. the the reporting has the reporting has been about how that's a complicated move. It's going to take a while. You know, there there it it said to me that right out of the gate, if there's one thing that the Obama administration has that's working very well, it's a press team. I, I was I was really impressed with how much of their message they got out through the media immediately. Mm. Now, his opposition is going to say, well, that's because the media wants to portray him as succeeding. I, and I don't, know, I don't know if that is a, is a case that really holds water. Uh, well, as, they wouldn't want to portray him as, as uh, not succeeding, I guess. I think, I think in North America, the media is ready 
to eat. They're, they're like a starving dog that is ready mm-hmm. to eat a bit of food that has fallen off the table. Uh, they're, they're, they're not going to treat anyone, you know, Obama or anyone else, with some special reverence if they have the opportunity to portray him as messing up. So do you mean that, that the press has woken up? They, they're thinking, okay, we can do our job now because of Obama's, uh, you know. The, the, okay, I'm going to be a little bit partisan here, but I think it's safe to say that the uh, Bush administration was not the best people to work with on the press side. Uh, the redactment and the uh, denying of of, uh, of uh, certain stories and things like that it, it must it wasn 't easy and it sort of put the press in an awkward position, although of course they are at fault too um, but did did the situation change the day that the administration changed i don't i don 't think so I, but I think there 's been a long change coming and, and it hmm. started from before the election. There was a sort of peak of press nonsense, and it was really it was really just before the official debates between the two candidates mm-hmm. that you, you started seeing uh, these interviews where these these press uh, talking heads appeared to be fawning over Barack Obama and just literally begging him on the air to do whatever he had to do to win because they wanted him to win, and there was a lot of backlash for that. And in a, I think in a lot of newsrooms in North America, uh, the, the people who really run the show came out and said, okay, stop it. We have a job to do. Get it straight. We don't know, we don't know who's going to win. <laughs> you know, yeah. No one does. And we need, to, we need to start being reporters again. And the, the high came down. There was another spike at the actual election when a mm. lot of the press were you know, elated like everyone else. And then it started coming down again. And I, I really do get the perception that we're back to there are left-wing newsrooms and right-wing newsrooms and a lot of newsrooms that are just trying to do news in the middle. And they're, they're all doing what we expect them to do now. So the press is back for whatever I, reason, whatever process, it's, it's back in action. I think so. And my example of that is that... Obama wasn't just given a free pass to say, I'm closing Guantanamo Bay, here you go. Mm. And we didn't get the, the usual standard stuff where, uh, you know, the left-wing press says, this is great, all is well, and the right-wing press says, this is horrible. No, we actually got what I thought was a pretty complex and careful assessment of, of what that was going to entail. It's going to take an entire year to completely close that facility and to completely uh, disperse all of the different individuals that are that are a, a part of that facility on both sides of the fence, and, and and that was that was not that was not reported in this partisan way. I thought it was very balanced. Well, hey, what do you know? Maybe he can actually uh, make miracles if he fixed the press. It That'd looks like a miracle. It only looks like a miracle because I, I, my opinion is he's coming with a press team that knows what to do yeah. as opposed well, to yeah. the previous administration. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, of course. I mean, if the press is, is actually getting back on track, it's, it's obviously a good thing for everyone. Um, uh, the press won't be on track, trust me. It's just this: they had this long vacation of supporting Obama because he was the big news. Everybody wanted to know about him. Now, as soon as Obama finishes at least his first 100 days... Then that press is going to start attacking him. You think so? 
I'm sure oh, hey, of it. It's, you, you it's know politics. What? They need to sell. They need to sell. They need people to watch the news. They need them to sell newspapers or whatever. You know and what, they Turkey? Have to have I will. I, I agree, and I would. I will uh, take a press that will attack an administration any day over a press that will, uh, you know, roll over for an, an administration, whatever the administration. So if they, if you think that they're going to start uh, getting angry again, that, that's fine by me. Um, What's not angry, but rather depressed, is the Davos World Economic Forum. So that's going to be our last topic, uh, international topic, I think, for the, for the day. Um, and I don't even think there's much to say about it, because we all know what's been happening economically in the world. But the, the only thing I want to say is that the, um, the World Economic Forum has been seen as a place of uh, arrogance, for many, many years, and, well, arrogance in a way, but, you know, the, the world leaders coming together and being on top of the world, as they were. And this year, with uh, everything that's been happening, it seems that they are very, um, I would venture to say, afraid. Like, they are very humble and uh, timid, even. Um, or at least that's the way we've been hearing about it. It's very surprising for the, the forum to be portrayed that way, where, you know, all the power in the world is, uh, is together for a short period of time. Um, did, did you guys have anything to add on, uh, about this? Or Well, there wasn't any real news from, from that uh, whole thing, except the whole thing about the pr uh, prime minister of Turkey, Leaving abruptly, being pissed off at the president of Israel. Oh, <laughs> hey, I, maybe I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, follow enough news, but I didn't hear about this. You didn't yeah, that, hear about this? That's the only big news that came out of that whole thing. <laughs> well, you know, we've had a huge storm in Paris, that, that, uh, in, not in Paris, I'm sorry, in France, that I will get to a little bit later maybe, but that, that was pretty much the only thing on the news for the past week. But uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Oh, basically, they were talking, and there was uh, there was the prime the uh, secretary general of the Arab League, the prime minister of Turkey, and the president of Israel. I'm not sure who else was there, and apparently they gave the president of Israel too much more time than uh, the whole forum uh, allowed. And they didn't give the other people enough time. And the prime minister of Turkey got so pissed off. And his only word was, yeah, you Israelis know very well how to kill children. And he just wow. stormed out of there, pissed off that nobody would allow him to speak. And he went wow. back to Turkey and was greeted as a hero. Okay. That's that's <laughs> pretty big. I'm, I must have missed it because it's not possible that that wasn't reported on here. Um uh, guys, anything else about Davos? I think um, the only thing that I got out of that was um, the way uh, Putin put it. He explained it as the perfect storm. And he, the way he explained it, it really made sense that we should look at this economic problem and actually work together, stop being, you know, wasting our money, and actually come together as all the world leaders and actually try to fix it. He, the way he said it, I really i don't know it was impressive yeah it was impressive from the way he said it. Tur uh randy 
he sort of the asleep. same thing. Oh. I, I did not. <laughs> um, it's sort of the same thing. I'm just having a hard time getting my words out. I, I would say that the, the conference was underreported in North America. Ah, oh, thank you. Uh, I'm not the only one who feels that way. Uh, no, there's no doubt it was. In fact, only the Turkish PM walking out really rose to the level of reporting that I kind of assumed the entire event would receive. Mm. Uh, I'm right. surprised you missed that, but then again, uh, as we've learned on the Phileas Club, what's, what is perceived as the most important fact of any particular subject varies widely from one region of the world to another. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was pretty important here too, but the, the, the fact that this storm was so huge, uh, probably, you know, the storm and, by the way, the strikes that I'm going to get to in a minute uh, also. So uh, there's one more thing from Daphlos. Okay. This is more fun. And just to show you what that person put in is. This is technology headline. Oh, Apparently, are you going to talk about uh, Putin and uh, Michael Dell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the one. Go ahead. <laughs> so what does Dell... Dell goes to Putin and tells him, how can we help you with your country's IT infrastructure? And Putin immediately looks at the guy and looks, says, we don't need your help. We are not invalids. We don't have limited mental capacity. Well, <laughs> that's, you know, and Putin is a guy that you don't want to piss off. I think uh, Michael <laughs> Dell should hire a couple of, uh, of uh, bodyguards, extra bodyguards now. I, I have an opinion on this, and it, it really that really bothered me. And I'm not I'm not about to say what I'm about to say because I happen to uh, I happen to call call my place of residence Round Rock, Texas, which is the the home of Dell Computer. Uh, I really don't have any particular love for Michael Dell or Dell Computer in general. But you have to you have to see. I have called for on previous uh, podcasts. For Russia to be kicked off the internet, they are they are one of the three worst uh, worst of breed countries on the internet today, and they have been for a long time. Basically, you know, uh, Russia Russia became independent of the USSR about the same time the internet came up came into being and went worldwide. And they have always, for that entire time, they have been a, a collection of bad citizens on the internet. And so I, I don't understand. It's well, almost, can, it's can almost like some specific, sort of... Can you be more specific about this? Like you mean the spam and the, uh, the uh, filtering and stuff like that? Or what do you mean? Exactly. That, that's exactly what I mean. There, okay. is a, there is a Wild West lack of control hmm. in certain countries. And Russia is a prime example of of being unwilling or, or uncaring about how how your IP uh, your IPs are used. That's Russia. So and, and, and everyone. I mean, I I always wonder: Does Russia know that the rest of the world perceives them as the source of all uh, pedophilia, of all hacker <laughs> IPs? You know that sort of thing. And, and that's what I wanted to get to. What the what Vladimir Putin did was he essentially made a hypocrite of himself because he said we're not you know we're not a bunch of of idiots we know uh, about technology and the fact is they clearly don't the rest of the world knows that they clearly don't know what's going on in their IP space. You know I, I'll say two things about this. First of all, I think you Randy are going to need bodyguards also. 
Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and uh, second, uh, I, I would say I think it's a it's more of a cultural misunderstanding that happened there. Uh, what the way I see it is, um, Michael Dell was going at this with a a commercial uh, mindset. He was go saying like a car salesman, uh, a car salesman. He was saying, so what do I need to do to get you with that car today? Like, wh what do I need to do to get you to buy? my computers how can i help you make your uh, infrastructure better you know th this mindset that of the salesman and putin took it as uh what the hell are you saying do you mean i can't take care of things myself and russians are idiots i think that's what's happened there and maybe there was there, something lost in the translation or something like that but there was I'm sure they was were definitely they, i agree they were definitely talking past one another Uh, yeah. You know, the big the big Dell quote is, how can we help? That's what we heard on the news. Sure. Michael Dell, we actually heard Michael Dell's voice saying, how can we help? Mm. And I think that I think that that was misinterpreted yeah. by by the Russians. I, I really do. Uh, and, and quite frankly, that's whenever you're misinterpreted, it's always your own fault. You know, uh, and, and Michael uh, Dell probably should have been. Well, and Michael I, Dell is also an American and Russians don't love Americans so much. That that might have that something to do with it, yeah. All right, let's move on to the local stories. Uh, oh, hey, by the way, last thing, uh, Iraq voted today, and apparently it's going very well. So, yay, Iraq. Right? <laughs> yay. Okay, cool. Uh, local stories. Uh, I'm going to start here uh, because I have actually a serious story about uh, the strikes in French. Uh, in France, sorry, for once, <laughs> because um, I, I keep going uh, going on about the, the French people who like strikes and we have strikes all the time and blah, blah, blah. And it's true. And we always do have strikes. But this one is pretty major. And uh, so I think it's worth uh, spending a little bit of time on it. Um, so I'll, I'll just talk alone for two minutes and then you tell me what you thought. Um, So the strikes would really, was really big. We had about one, between 1 and 2.5 million people demonstrating uh, in the streets. Of course, it was, you know, the, the workers demonstrating because the situation is not good, quote unquote. Um, I'm saying between 1 and 2.5 million because that's the estimates uh, of the police on one side and of the organizers of the strikes on the other. And um, in France, to, to, tell, to give you a, a scale, we have about 17 million people uh, living in the country. Uh, that was probably the biggest strike in a very long time. But, you know, we have huge strikes every, every five or 10 years. That was probably the biggest one for 10 or 20 years. And the thing that struck me the most was that there wasn't one unified reason for people to go on strike. It was really... When you would ask people, uh, the journalists would ask people on the street, so why are you on strike today? They would say, you know, well, because we don't have enough money to buy stuff and, you know, it's the government isn't good and they're not taking the right decisions and the, the, we're unhappy. That was the, 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 the general feeling, which was a little bit strange because I would think that if, if, it was, if there was so much... Uh, you know, discontent in the population, there would be very specific, um, very specific reasons that you could name. Uh, but what was really interesting was that both the private and the public sectors were involved in that strike. And usually the public sectors, 
goes on strike easily because they have job security and the private sector is you know a little bit less inclined but even though it was less represented it was still there and what was uh, again uh, uh, interesting to me was that in in this country the private sector considered that the government was responsible for the layoffs and the bad economy so it, and they wanted the government to go, to go more social that so they would pin the 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 economic crisis on the government which is of course arguable I, i'm not saying that it's not the case i'm just saying it might not be seen the same as as like that in other countries and uh, finally um the 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 general feeling was that the the when things go well uh, the corporations and the big companies Uh, give money to the stockholders, and when things go bad, they will take money from, you know, the taxpayers' money. Um, so I, I would have a couple of extra things to say about this. Uh, um, the fact that the government insisted on uh, lending money uh, to the banks, that the, the, the banks that would take the money would not get uh, give bonuses to their uh, leaders, Um which seems very sensible to, to most people. And the banks would not agree at first, but they, 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 their hand got forced. And, uh, but then the, the opposition, uh, the political opposition, uh, was, again, uh, uh, um, very unhappy about the, the way things were going. And to give you an idea of how people perceive that situation, um, the opposition would suggest that not only the the, the companies and the banks that would get the money would not give bonuses to their leaders, obviously, but also that the government would have people from the government to sit on the boards of those banks and those companies uh, to, make, to take part in the, in the decisions. So again, I thought that that would be interesting to show you how uh, to the left, uh, France generally uh, is uh, on the, on the uh, things they want to do to combat the, the economic uh, crisis. So that was my little spiel to explain uh, about the, the strikes in France. Um, I would like to know now how you guys perceived them and if you even reported on them. Um, you again, strikes. Turkey, go ahead. You had strikes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. I, I, I would have expected for you to at least hear about them. Uh, it was really, really huge. I honestly haven't heard a single thing about it. Okay, wow. Uh, you know, it's also interesting because usually France is at the forefront of the social unrest uh, I think, in Europe. I think, we were, so, I think we were too busy with Obama and Gaza. Okay, okay. Th that part was completely uh, eclipsed by the strikes and the, the storm. Um, Mohamed? About the strikes, I haven't really uh, heard much about it in the news. There was uh, some, uh, for in Al Jazeera when I watched it, there was uh, a couple minutes about it. They talked a little about it and left it. Okay. What I had to do to find it was just go on the internet and actually read about it. And you know, when you read it from the internet, it's the same. It's the same. Uh, I read it from Yahoo News, so it's the same yeah. thing that probably Randy's going to say. So. <laughs> Well, let's ask Randy. Very much, uh, very much low coverage for for France in the last couple of weeks. I was I was surprised by that. There was there was a, a bit of coverage about the storms, mm -hmm. and and practically nothing about political machinations in in France the last couple of weeks. And I, by practically nothing, I really mean that. Yeah. I, it, in 
there are I know there are people around me who are real media junkies and read everything. They use Google News to read, yeah. uh, you know, three or four dozen stories a day. But you have to you have to really look hard to find mm. any analysis in North America of of the subjects you were just talking about. Wow, that's yeah. I really, I really thought that you would have heard about this. It's it's huge here, really huge. So um, I'm a little bit uh, disappointed. Um, I am too. We're, we're used to it. You always strike, so it's not a big deal anymore. Yeah, and and that's what I mean. I mean, uh, we always strike, but this one is different. Um, it's really, and as as I was saying, it, France is usually at the forefront of uh, social, you know, action. And so it might spread to other countries, very possibly. We'll see I, I always, I always thought Michael Dell was at the forefront of social change. So. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that too. Um, so the other thing, of course, was uh, the the big storm, which it, it was surprising because some people uh, twittered uh, about this and twittered to me specifically, asking how it was, how we were doing. Um, and even though you know there were, it was a huge storm, but it wasn't like. Katrina-like hurricane. So there was uh, nine dead, I think, and but the, most of the damage was uh, infrastructure damage. So there was a, a million and a half people that didn't have electricity uh, in the southwest of France, but that lasted for uh, about a week, and now there's only less than 100,000 people that still don't have electricity. And um, there was something new about this, though, in the, the French media. You always have, you know, people showing um internet videos in the on on tv as news uh reporting of sorts as part of the news reporting on this one uh, because of the nature of the news uh in part i'm sure but also because of the changing of times there was a huge amount of reporting using internet videos so i thought that was uh that was interesting um so th just quickly to to if uh, to to close uh, the France part, um, any any uh, sign that that was the end of the world in France, or was the reporting uh, moderate about this? You have snow. That's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm talking because I lived in Spain and Madrid for a couple of years. So, from my experience, it almost never snows there. And if you have any snow, it snows for one day, and that's it. This this year they really had lots of snow, unusual. So okay, that's, good. That's 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 the basics that's... of my knowledge of what how <laughs> okay. bad the weather is. Okay, fine. So I guess that it wasn't a big deal. If the, if it if there's something to say about this, someone raise his hand and speak. Nice. Oh. You can see me raise my hand from Qatar. Yeah, Very I nice. can see you just fine. I have Google Earth. I'm raising oh, nice. a hand and nobody's even looking at me. <laughs> Turkey, stop doing this. Okay. <laughs> Mohammed? I have uh, no comment on this. Okay, fine. Let's move on. You don't like France, obviously. Um, let's shake things up a little bit. Uh, uh, Randy, you usually go awfully long. Do you want to start us with your fascinating local stories? I well, I will not go along, Ben. I will make this. I will make this very brief. We we are recording this. Oh, you always offend me. <laughs> we have we are recording this episode of the Phileas Club the day before the Super Bowl in the United States, and that oh, Steelers. 
That has. <laughs> oh, do you mean to that say like the most annoying and boring sport ever? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, maybe that's what he's talking that, about. Yeah, I think that so, is right? not so. what I mean to say. No. <laughs> that may that may very well be your uh, your observation of the of the event, but as you as you well know, the 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 National Football League Super Bowl became one of the biggest events on television in the United States uh, in all of North America's yearly right. cycle a long time ago. It's been decades now that the Super Bowl is considered up there, you know, with things like the Oscars, a presidential inauguration and so forth, and things that, you know, that people gather to watch. Mm-hmm. And as a result, there's so much more to it than just a football game between two American football teams. You know, there's so there's so much news being produced about about television ads and about Bruce Springsteen, who's playing at halftime, and so on and so on. Mm. So, you know, there, you could you could just say it's it's dominating right now. Of course, 24 hours after the Super Bowl, it will cease to be in any of the news. But my favorite little story is about, uh, and I'm I'm trying to bridge both the United States and Canada here since I'm in Canada. Mm-hmm. My favorite story is about a dating service from Toronto oh, that has. They've called themselves the dating service for cheaters. Uh, the, the whole point of this company is to create a discreet online environment where people who absolutely want to hook up with other people that are in somewhat committed relationships can find one another. They literally promote adultery is, is what this, uh, this service does. And they bought wow. time wow. to advertise during the Super Bowl. Uh, they, so they, they have were, $3 million dollars to spend on a Super Bowl ad for telling people how to cheat? Well, I've heard it, that the Super Bowl ads were really cheap this year because of the... Uh, oh, no, I know. They're $3 million dollars for 30 seconds. Right, but, but, but you always hear a price for the most expensive time. You know what I'm saying? Like, you always yeah. hear Super Bowl ad, you know, someone paid $3.5 million dollars this year. They were buying the premier slot during a four or five hour long television production yeah. you know there are much cheaper times but anyway the point the point is that uh, the the story is that this service from toronto got their time and their their ad is going to run in the united states but it's not going to run in canada what it makes no so, sense wait. I don't understand. You mean the service in Canada? What do you mean? Like, what? What? What's the ad about? It, okay, there is a there is a let's just say a website, right? A company whose dating website is oh, specifically devoted to bringing together people who want to cheat on their spouse. Basically, <laughs> they're they are running an ad. Uh, tomorrow night That in the Super be a Bowl. a very popular yeah. site here. Yeah, well, I I bet they're going to make a lot of money. That's insane. They're They're running an ad called "Life is Short, Have an Affair." <laughs> okay, oh, that's so nice. how was that accepted? I mean, isn't there anyone looking at these Super Bowl commercials and saying, "Hmm, yeah, cheating on your wife"? Let's put that up there. <laughs> well, that's that's the point of the story. Is that so far the United States television services are going are going with the ad, and the Canadian ones are not. Huh. Interesting. Well, it, there wouldn't be any legal, you know, cheating on your wife is 
is not illegal per se. It might put an end to your ma- it might be caused to put an end to your marriage, but you're not going to be you know uh, fined or go to prison if you're cheating on your wife. It's not illegal. It's amoral in some cultures and most unless cultures. you're here. Um, but what do you mean unless you're here? Because here, if you cheat on your wife, you're a social pariah. Also, uh, on top of um, uh, like committed to adultery oh. and all those sure. law ramifications. Yeah. And- I I mean in the in the U.S. it wouldn't be you know there wouldn't be any legal uh, action, so it's well yeah it's it's interesting though is it a big story uh, now? I would not say it's a big story. I think it'll get a little bigger in the next twenty four hours. Mm. It's just it's just fascinating that that what is ostensibly a championship game between two uh, two clubs in a sport that most of the world doesn't care much for. Yeah. Could could have grown to such a point that some little company from Toronto that's trying to make a name for itself yeah. by hooking up people that want to cheat on their spouse is able to get all of Canada talking. Yeah. Because, like I say, it's it's the Canadians that are are preventing the ad from airing mm. rather than the Americans for once. Interesting. Another story you want to talk about? No, I, I, I don't want to go any more long-winded. <laughs> I think I like the one-second ads. <laughs> the one-second ads, it's interesting, yeah. Uh, do, do you want to... Well, it's not. It's more of the, about the Super Bowl. Um, so How does a one-second ad work? Okay, fine. You, you, now we have to talk about it. <laughs> so, uh, there's nothing to talk. We won't find out until they broadcast it on the Super Bowl. Well, they, they bought uh, one-second ads, which is an interesting concept. And that was, I think that was, a, that was uh, what was, a, blah, I can't speak anymore. That was what I was referring to when I was uh, uh, thinking about the cheap ads. Um, it was the one-second ads that the companies are buying to make their media budget cheaper. And to have, you know, people talk about it. Um, we'll see what happens in the Super Bowl. Turkey, I think you have a, a couple of uh, more serious stories, or at least one uh, you want to talk about. Well, let's limit it to one. So, my big problem is the Saudi religious police, or as they are officially known, the promotion of virtue and the preservation, prevention of vices authority. The promotion of what? Of virtue and the prevention okay. of vices authority. Okay. What about nice thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> So these are officially the religious police in Saudi Arabia. They make sure everything is running according to the Islamic law and basically their own opinion of Islamic law. So uh, we had in uh, a local university, a private university, Yamam University, uh, there was an exhibition for uh, British uh, universities to promote their universities and to look for students to apply and to study in Britain. Okay. So apparently they had the event and on the floor, on the exhibition floor, many of these universities' uh, representatives were females. Mm -hmm. And although they were decently covered, dressed well, dressed decently. Apparently, the religious police were not very happy of this, so they went into the event and they closed it down. But what was the reason if they were uh, dressed properly? Well, according to them, they wanted the women to cover their hair and their faces as well. 
isn't that required anyway? Uh, no, not exactly. It really depends oh. on where you are. The face is a controversial thing, and the hair, they usually ignore it when they're foreigners. Oh, sexy, sexy hair. <laughs> hair. When I see hair, it causes such Im impure thoughts. Wow, that's an interesting <laughs> fetish. Mm, it's, but, uh, apparently one, it's apparently one that the uh, religious police think everyone has. It's, it's so, different, though, in Qatar. It, yeah, so this this was a huge deal. It was all over mm. the internet. It uh, it uh, it was a huge disaster because that or that uh, exhibition was partly organized by the British embassy, and it oh. already had had the approval of the Saudi uh, education ministry, and it had and it went on in Jeddah two days later without mm. a hitch, without any problems. Hmm. So was that when things like this happen, is it controversial and people say, oh, no, they're going too far? Or is it everyone rally, uh, rallying behind the religious police going, you know, yes, that, that it goes to the same point of view when I said about Gaza, how people think if you're talking about the uh, mo mostly educated, uh, liberal mm. or moderate people. Yeah, they just succeeded. However, the common people are mostly supportive of the religious police because they think they're always right. You know, that leads me to a question about uh, the state of Saudi Arabia in general, because you talk to us about those stories that are concerning uh, almost every, every month. So I would like to ask you, <laughs> is, it, um, is Saudi Arabia moving towards more um uh, mod, uh you know modernity uh modern society and those are remnants of you know change takes time or is it well, turning back to you know more obscure uh times we promise we will talk about this in a specific episode but let yeah. me put it in a, in a in a most short way Saudi Arabia has moved in moving into a more religious uh atmosphere since 19 uh 1980 hmm. since 1980 they've been moving into a more religious aspect modernization is here we're a very modern country and it's spreading very fast uh, there are people who are resisting modernization there are people who insist on having these religious uh, values uh, yeah. on everybody and it's a very complicated situation it really depends on who you're talking to there are improvements but it's very difficult because the religious authority already have built their bases very strongly and as i said the common people like the majority of people would support the religious police and they think they are the protectors of virtue in this country so it's mm -hmm. a very difficult thing because and most of these people are either religious uh, common low class uh, uneducated or something like this mm -hmm. and that's the whole thing and by the way i would encourage the people who who are listening now and who think wow that's crazy and and you know we wouldn't never do anything like that i'm certain that even even the people listening themselves not even talking about other people in their country would have things they considered virtuous or uh, perverted and they wouldn't uh, accept the promotion of uh, perverted behaviors and stuff like that and well and, and also also i would like to say you might hear all of these things about Saudi Arabia and maybe some people would think this is bad this is horrible and so on but the fact is we have reached a level where 
a lot of these things that I'm talking about are actually things that are published in newspapers. Ten mm. years ago, such news like these would never be published in newspapers. They would never be discussed in public. Mm. They are taboos. They are forbidden. We have a bit of freedom, not not complete freedom in this first yeah. speech, but we have some freedom of speech now, better than before, and we can talk about these and discuss them, whether it's in local newspapers, on satellite TV, local TV, mm. on uh, internet, and everywhere. So there is some freedom at the moment when it comes to freedom of speech. So, so you would say that, that it's, it's going in the right direction in general still, right? Yes, yes, okay. it is. And, and uh, Mohammed, since we have you on the phone, um, what I think I perceive Qatar as a you know, more modern uh, Arab state. Uh, how, how do you view those, those things? Would that be acceptable in your country or how would it be treated? Uh, over here, um, there is no religious police. Mm. You know, like, there's no. We we allow the foreigners, since they're a large population, to go as they please. We don't force them into anything. Mm. Since um, since the Emir of Qatar right now, since he came into power, there has been a huge modernization with him and his wife. His wife especially. She brought in Education City. We have right now Texas A and M and. Georgetown and all these important colleges, thanks to her. Right. So, it's it's just um, for the way the the only the families, the Qatari families, it's them themselves who have to uh, teach their children how you know tell their uh, children okay cover up. But yeah. usually, you so you see mean religion? The, religion is more of a private matter. It's not state uh, wide. Uh, you know, promoted statewide. We have uh, mosques and we have Islamic banks and stuff, but it's not imposed on the culture, on the expatriates. Okay, but you you won't get in trouble officially if you don't if you do something that goes uh, doesn't go in accordance to the Muslim, you know, the Islamic law. Well, we have a big church here, so you know there is you know. We have, well, we Patrick, have, it really comes down to what you talk, call about Islamic law, because I'm sure in Qatar. Kissing a, a man and a woman kissing in public, that would be against the law officially. So it really comes to, there There are limits, no matter which so, Arab Islamic yeah, country, there are there limits are. that you have to not pass. Mm, there are I red see. lines. So, but how do you handle it, though? Because if, if uh, two foreigners are a man and a woman kiss on the street, you, you were saying, Mohammed, that they are not going to get in trouble. Wait, um, no, no, no. Kiss as in intimate kissing or just on the cheek? Oh, let's say they get it on and, you know, kiss on the mouth oh, no. and French kiss and... No, no, that's not allowed on the streets or okay. in public. Okay. Because, you know, there's children and stuff and also Islamic laws. And you don't you don't want children to see people kissing. That would be horrible. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I just, just offended the, the, yeah. the, the, the Muslim population. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's just, you know, they're children. They don't really yeah. want to see that going on and stuff. They're out okay. to have fun, not see two people have fun. And you know that that might be a weird uh, transition, but I've always found the uh, American, um, uh, how can I put it uh, tastefully, the American um, way of handling uh, uh, female uh, male relation. No, not exactly. Okay, boobs. In America, <laughs> you don't see you don't see boobs ever. It's right? forbidden. Yeah, no, but it's I mean, it's, man. It's, it's a really strong, um, uh, I wouldn't say trauma, but at least... Uh, it's in America? 
It's it, taboo it, in the U.S. It's, it's a taboo. Right. You you don't see boobs on on uh, you don't see boobs on uh, on uh, commercials. You don't see breasts bare bare-breasted women uh, in on on TV and stuff like that. And in France, we we see them all the time. If you have a commercial for I don't know a, a, a cream that's going to make you slimmer, then you're going to see a girl who's half naked, and it's not. She's not going to be flashing you, but it's not uh, impossible wait, that wait, you're going to see wait, her wait. boobs. Wait, wait, Did you just say half naked? <laughs> that, it's a matter of speaking. Anyway, my, my point is... <laughs> and a matter of speaking for me is it's, it's a bikini, no, but I, half naked. But well, what you're talking about is more than half naked. Well, yeah. No, I mean, the, the, the idea of seeing a woman bare-breasted is not offensive to us, is what I it's mean. European, it's and, a European uh, thing. Right. And I, in the no, US, actually, it would um, be very I've offensive. seen it in the US. There are, like, sometimes when I was watching Comedy Central, for example... I was watching uh, some show uh, late at night, and then they'd uh, put up these um, commercials. The, the, the key word being no, late at not night on Comedy here. Central. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, not, not on Comedy Central. They are only produce such shows on premium channels like HBO, Show, uh, Showtime, and so on. See yeah, no, he was, Those he was talking about them. commercials. Talking about commercials. Even commercials. Commercials never. Wait, let's ask, let's ask Randy. the one who's actually, yes. who actually knows about this stuff. Hey, I lived there for six years. <laughs> and that's really, you actually, the, you lived here for six years, and that's, that's the thing I always would like to engage in, is I would like to know what this world would be like if everyone had to go everywhere else. If, yeah. if every American just had to spend a little time in Saudi Arabia, and if every, uh, you know, if every... Iranian had to spend some time in Mexico and so forth. I think wow. I think this this would be a very different planet. Randy, you you put me to shame here. I'm talking about boobs, and you're being uh, grandiose. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, you know that that's a little bit of what we're trying to do here at the Fierce Club, right? We're trying to uh, bring different uh, opinions and cultures to to everyone. So I think you're talking about me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Mohammed, we—I don't want to skip you. Um, what was uh, what happened in in Qatar uh, this month? Um, this month we had um, the Arab World, uh, the Arab Summit, January sixteenth. Uh -huh. We've we've had um, uh, people from the Arab nations come as a summit. Also, the Hamas leaders and the, some other leaders I found on the internet. They all came in to discuss uh, Gaza, and it's after that meeting that Qatar cut off political and economic ties with Israel. Right. Okay. So that, yeah, you, you were talking about this before. Um, w Turkey, um, comments about this? Randy, maybe? I, I, don't, I don't want to offend Mohammed. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm not offended. We, yeah, you're supposed to be the angry guy, so... Yeah. The whole summit in Qatar was a big sham. It wasn't a real <laughs> summit. They never had enough people to make it an official summit by the Arab League. They they didn't have the president of Palestine. They had only Hamas representing Palestine, which is Hamas is not recognized by anybody as a government. <laughs> Apparently, Qatar recognizes them. And why did Qatar wait until that summit to cut ties? Why couldn't they cut ties earlier before by themselves? <laughs> did they have to wait for the summit to happen? You know, and insist on I it see. happening. And the funny part is there was a summit two days later in Kuwait yeah, that was already organized months ago 
But Qatar insisted on having their own person private summit and their own kingdom. <laughs> So. <laughs> this is this is something I realized that we were we were trying to have the summit. We wanted more. I, I hate to say it, but we wanted more attention. We wanted <laughs> us to have the summit. So yeah, we had two summits and not much happened. All right. So so Qatar is the the kid in the Arab world trying to get more attention. Is that what we're saying? Is that yeah, our so official Philist uh, okay, position? Okay. Okay. No offense, but the official title of Qatar <laughs> by most Arab people. Especially if you go online and read about Qatar when Qatar does something. The tiny empire of Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. You're making me feel like a, a midget with muscles or something. Oh, uh, no. Uh, go ahead. You, you can answer that. Uh, you can answer to that. Is, that. is that... Do you feel... I mean, in Qatar, do you also feel that, that uh, stigma? No. I, over here in Qatar, we don't... We feel like... We're actually helping. Like, okay, it's not a tiny empire. We we feel like we have strong political, um, strong political power, yeah. and we're trying to help the world with it. Since we're so small, like we might as well help people politically. We can't do anything aggressively because well, we're so small. And we have to say that the the first real Arab news network uh, from the Arab world came out of Qatar. So, and and I honestly, yeah. uh, I that, sincerely that, think that that that, that never ever. Never ever talked badly about Qatar. Period. Fine. Hey, listen. That's that might be true. True as it is, Turkey. Uh, the fact is that when you ask someone from the outside the Arab world, maybe I don't know how the perception is in the Arab world, but in the West, when you ask someone about the representate the 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 uh, the media that would be representative of the Arab world, you're going to go to uh, Al Jazeera straight away. And that's because, quite an achievement. And, 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 and that's true. Al Jazeera was for once, for, for some time, the only uh, Arabic news media outlet in the, in the Arab world that would cons be considered independent in some mm -hmm. way. However, that's not the fact anymore. And one proof of that is Obama talking to Al Arabiya. And now officially Which is guitar-based. Al Arabiya <laughs> is Dubai. Based. It is? Yeah, Arabia is I don't really based. follow. I don't Arabia the news and yet. it's owned by Saudis. It's a Saudi news Are channel you? owned by Saudis, broadcasting from Dubai. And Arabia and Al Jazeera now are considered the two top Arabic news uh, networks Arabia? in the Arab world. But there are other Arab news channels as well. But these are the two top in the Arab world right now. Okay, so I guess, you know... We can agree uh, that... Oh, okay, go ahead. My only source of news isn't watching the TV here. I always watch it online. So, I, like, watching the TV here, I, I don't know, it's all one-sided. I, I usually watch it here and the computer. Hmm. Okay. So that means Daily Show got it wrong. They said it's uh, Qatar-based. <laughs> do, do you mean you get your news for, about, about uh, <laughs> the, the, the Actually, Arab News no. Network from the Daily Show? <laughs> I've watched The Daily Show. It's not I yeah. get my news from there. I get it from Yahoo News, CNN. No, I'm teasing. I mean, it's, it's very yeah. significant about, and we all know that The Daily Show has become a prime source of information uh, in, in at least the United States and maybe wider. Um, but it's because of its humor. I'm sorry? It's because of its humor. It appeals to more people. Of course. People. Sure, yeah. Americans should have voted to Colbert. Colbert should have been the president of the United States of America. Uh, the, 
I, don't I know, only John feel Stewart. bad that they voted for Obama because now Daily Show lost its material. <laughs> if it went with McCain, they would have had better material. Better, probably, but they've been pretty good in the past few days. Okay, let's let's uh, close yeah. uh, th this show. We could go on for hours. Uh, with Randy, is there anything you want to add about all this? I really, <clears throat> pardon me, I, I really enjoyed this uh, this one little story that came out two, three days ago in Singapore. Okay. Where a a couple, a man and a woman, decided to walk around the nightclub area of the city without any clothes on i, I think that it's <clears throat> did you did you all not uh, catch this story uh, no I but I, but I, I would i would guess what happened <laughs> the the couple were described as a caucasian man and an ethnic chinese woman in their 20s they they did they they proceeded to just walk around clubs and stores in the street until they were arrested and, and taken to jail. Uh, the well, nice they thing... They would be punished by lashes. Well, actually, actually, uh, Singapore, I, you know, Singapore is a, is a pretty conservative city-state, but it, they they don't have laws that are that make much sense when you compare them to one another. You know, if you, if you uh, spit out your gum, you're going to get hit with a cane but there's some cases where they just don't they they didn't seem to write their laws in expectation of people ever breaking them <laughs> so so in this case for example they they only really face a fine and it's not a very large fine i did the conversion and it was something like fifteen hundred dollars american which is just it just what really surprised me fifteen hundred dollars is a lot well, but Compared to compared to what could have happened to them, they could have spent five years in jail, or and who knows sure. what. I mean, Singapore's crazy. They're popular what? with lashes in Singapore. That's why I'm surprised. I guess. <laughs> but wait, you're all you're all hung up on the on the punishment. I, I I'd like to know about the reason why they did it. Yeah, why would they do that? That's I was just uh, about maybe to ask. they were drinking. Maybe what? the drinking. Have you uh, <laughs> <laughs> the um. They they actually I think they were attempting some sort of protest. There was there was mention in the stories of how in Singapore uh, people are trying to trying to create an area like Speaker's Corner in London in in Hyde Park in London. Right. And uh, I think these I think these two were were attempting to get some attention on that issue. Well, but apparently the, the they funny were thing, very successful. <laughs> the, yeah, the funny thing is that that uh, they there were so many pictures taken of them that they had all sorts of people <laughs> pulling their their telephones their you know their cell phones out and following them around sure. taking pictures and my and the quote that came away that I came away from that story with was some blogger from Singapore who you know who just described them and said they were they looked very comfortable and very happy and they were glad for the attention until they got arrested and so forth and the the quote was he said Singapore is getting more and more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if if France had more protests like these, maybe they'd get more coverage in the world news. Yeah, there you yes. go. Yeah, Sing people in Singapore, or at least people uh, who protest in Singapore, know how to do it. Now, I'm go I'm going to start something. You know, nude protests in France, the best of both uh, worlds. Please. I don't want to see you in the protest. <laughs> Just pick all the nice, young, Fine. and hot girls to go okay. on that front. Fine. Okay, I get it.
All right. I guess that, you know what, that's going to be our, our and now for something completely different story because it was pretty funny. So I guess that's going to be it. Um, I would like to thank the three of you for coming on the show today. Um, Turkey, you still haven't started your blog back, right? You're oh, not going I'm, to. Uh, not, nothing, nothing in the near future. I'm really busy with life and trying to find a okay. job and I got a lot of things. Like, to be honest, uh, I'm here specifically for you for the last two weeks. I haven't been online every day for more than an hour. I usually really? sit six to eight hours online. The last two weeks, my maximum time has been an hour. And you, you came just for me? Yep. Oh, makes me feel more. See, old, even old, even even, even my brother was inviting me to go and have a cigar with him at the cigar line. I said, "Sorry, I have an appointment oh, with uh, Patrick." Cool. <laughs> I feel special. You know what? Since I feel so special, I'm gonna promote your your Twitter. Um, I guess since your blog is not functional anymore, I'm gonna say that you can hear a lot from Turkey and his rants on uh, Twitter at uh, Saudi. That's Twitter.com/Saudi. Um, Randy, you can follow Randy on Twitter at twitter.com slash Randy Deluxe. Is that right, Randy? Yes, yes, yes it is. Anything else you want to pimp? The instance. For all of, <laughs> all of you lovers of World of Warcraft, the instance. Represents. That's right. Yeah, that's something we really can't get away from, is it? Um, and, uh, Mohammed, do you have a, uh, Twitter account? Uh, no, I don't really see the point. Ah, that's because you've never tried it. Um, yeah, I haven't. <laughs> well, it's probably good for you because, you know, it would suck up a lot of your time. Um, but <laughs> thank you for coming on, Mohammed. It was a real treat. Um, and for me, I'm just going to uh, give you my Twitter again. It's notpatrick, so twitter.com slash notpatrick. You can follow me and hear about all the crazy things happening in France. Uh, and, of course, you can go to the website of the Fidesz Club if you want to uh, discuss uh, stuff about the episode and uh, go to the forums and talk about what we've been uh, discussing, too. That's thephileasclub.com, P-H-I-L-E-A-S uh, for Phileas. Uh, you can send us an email if you want to comment about the show or, uh, I don't know, get in contact with us for anything at all um, at contact at thephileasclub.com. And I guess that's going to be it. We're going to talk to you again next month uh, with wonderful stuff happening from around the world and maybe not so wonderful, too. So thanks a lot, guys, and I'll talk to all of you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.